Guys, um, grab your Bibles, if you will, and open to Paul's second letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy. Uh, while you're turning, let me say we are uh, resuming a, um, a series that we started in May, and it has been interrupted ever since. We uh, spent two Sundays in May, the last two in May, and now we return to that. That series, which was entitled Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Its Cures. So you follow, as I read, the first 14 verses of 2 Timothy chapter 1. Here we go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. Something that might uh, be very helpful in your understanding of the book of 2 Timothy, something that you really need to know is this. Paul wrote this book while in a prison in Rome awaiting execution. Now, you may, some of you may recall that before Paul ever arrived in Rome, he was on trial in Caesarea. And he stood before Festus, the Roman governor, and Agrippa, the so-called king of the Jews. He made his defense and After he had done so, Agrippa said to Festus, you know, if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, we could have set him free now. But he's appealed to Caesar, and to Caesar he will go. So he takes that that ship voyage to Rome, and so now he's in Rome, in jail, awaiting execution. There is a sense in which Paul signed his own death certificate. But guys, uh, the thing that you I, I want to make clear is that the one who is depressed 
in this particular setting into which Paul writes is not Paul. It's Timothy. The one who is depressed is not is not the one in the prison. It's the one outside the prison. What uh, what Paul is writing here, or at least a portion of what he's writing, is designed to try and strengthen this this depressed younger man whose name was Timothy. Did you notice how many times he talked about, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. He mentions it three times. Don't be ashamed, Timothy. But Paul writes this letter because he realizes that this, this younger man, Timothy, is teetering on the edge of just, just a, a full-scale depression. Timothy is struggling. And so Paul writes at least a portion of this letter to try and, and, and deal with Paul, with Timothy's wrestling with his own sullen spirit. Timothy was sunk. His hero, Paul, is in jail and about to be executed. And, um, and, and maybe this salvation thing, you know, um, maybe it's a figment of our imaginations. Maybe we Christians have just believed in, in cunningly devised fables. What if Paul is executed? What will become of us? Will I be next? You know, there's another scene in the New Testament that's similar to this. It's during the ministry of Jesus Christ when John the Baptist, you remember that? John the Baptist was arrested. He was arrested because he had rebuked Herod for having a, a wife of his brother. And so ultimately John the Baptist was beheaded by Herod. Remember that? But before he was beheaded, he sent his disciples to, um, to talk to Jesus. And, and they came to Jesus and said, hey, um, are you the Messiah or should we look for somebody else? Now, guys, at least a part of that dynamic is this. John is in jail and his circumstances are very confusing. If he is the Messiah, then what am I doing in jail? If this Christianity thing is true... Then why is Paul going to be executed? Guys, in a word, depression, I don't want to say all the time, but in in, in many occasions, is brought on by circumstances that prompt us to fear things that are in the offing. Things that are around the corner, difficulties and dangers that that we fear are to come. Brought on, depression often brought on by a fear of the future. I have to tell you, it's one of my deepest failings. Anybody looked um, at the stock market lately? Anybody wondering about what the next six months are going to bring? Anybody brought low because of a circumstances that has prompted you to, to fear the future? You know, guys, um, there's a lot of emotions out there. There's anger and there's bitterness and there's envy and there's disappointment. But it seems to me that the most primal emotion of all is fear. And in this instance, a fear of the future. 
We get ourselves, we experience certain circumstances that can be the birthplace of my, of my depression. But they don't have to be. That is, guys, if, if circumstances were the, were the real cause of depression, then the Apostle Paul would have been the most depressed man that ever lived. Have you ever read about the things that he records in, in 2 Corinthians 11? Things that he experienced? Let, let me just read you just a little bit of this. He says, um, uh, far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And a day and a night I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brethren, in toil and hardship, there are many sleepless nights. Guys, if circumstances are the primary cause of of our depression, then Paul would have been the most depressed man in history. But circumstances are not the primary cause. I'm not saying that circumstances don't matter. But they are in no way the primary cause of my depression. Um, they may be the occasion, but let, they are not the primary cause of my funk. Let me try to show you what he is. I have a visual aid for you this morning, guys. I don't do this very often, as you well know, but I thought it might be good if you, if you saw this thing. This, this might help us all. I even have a little red thing in Duji here that's supposed to point to this. It's, there it is. Okay, guys. This, I hope, will help you, okay? I'm saying that your circumstances might be the occasion of your depression, but they are not the primary cause. There's, um, there, A is, is the circumstances. See, you got the, you got the job loss or the market plunge or you got health issues. There, there's an impending divorce. I got kids who are in rebellion and that's the circumstances. That's the event, okay? Now, skip B for a second and come over to the C. My response to that circumstance, my response is panic, bitterness, anger, depression. Now, the question becomes, what is the B? There's the event, and there's my response to the event. What is the B? I'm suggesting, ladies and gentlemen, that it's not the A. It's not the circumstances that causes this. It may be the occasion. But it's not the primary cause. What is the B? Huh? Guys, B happens to be my perspective or my assessment or my evaluation of A. That is, what I think about that produces that. My perception, my assessment, my evaluation of this, whatever it is, produces this. It is this that is the primary cause of this, not that. For example, what is a blush? You know what a blush is? You know, sometimes you blush, do you? What is that? 
Well, physiologically, it is when, when my body pumps more blood to my face. But what caused that? What prompted my body to pump blood to my face? Oh, <laughs> it was my perception. It was my assessment. It was my evaluation of a circumstance in which I found myself. And as a result of what I thought about it, even my body responds. My assessment controls even things that are going on in my body such that I can order it, maybe unconsciously, I can order it to pump blood to my face. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a story that my wife is going to die that I'm telling you. But it's a good story and it does illustrate my point. <laughs> you know, guys, you know, guys, a, a lot of times I try to stand out here and preach. You know why I do that, don't you? Do you know why I do that? I'm trying to connect with you. I'm trying to make that easier for you to make the connection with what I'm saying. But about six months ago, I came out here to, you know, to preach. And my zipper was down. <laughs> my poor wife, who sits on the front row, was absolutely apoplectic. And so here I am. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to preach my little heart out. And my wife gets up from where she sits and goes out that door. I think, well, what's, what's happened to my wife? I mean, is she sick? What's, you know, what's, what's going on? I mean, I, what, what's, what's, what's happened? And then so, you know, so I keep going thinking, you know, I've got to finish this. And so in a matter of seconds, she resurfaces, re-entering that back door and goes into the sound booth. And so I see her. Now, no, y'all don't see this. I see her back there in the sound booth. And I mean, there's just all this little, this hubba hubba going back on the sound booth. And um, the next thing I know, she leaves the sound booth, goes back out the door, and she's coming back in that door. And she comes back, and she sits right there. <laughs> oh, my gosh, what's going on here? And then she very nonchalantly takes a sheet of paper that she had gotten back there in the sound booth, and she puts her arm on the back of the pew where you can't see it, and she's got a sheet of paper being hiding behind that thing, and on it is written... Zipper. <laughs> Guys, she didn't get over that for weeks. I, on the other hand, was in blissful ignorance. I didn't, but once I saw zipper, it kind of communicates. And so I, you know, made my way behind the pulpit. But, but. <laughs> Now, guys, if you think that's if that's the worst thing that I ever do here, then then we all better celebrate. And and I, I want you to know that I ain't getting any younger. And and so other things will break down. So just roll with it, you know, for heaven's sakes. But but, but my point is, there was a circumstance in which my wife perceived certain things, and I mean, I mean, the B for her was absolute catastrophe which led to all of these things that went, went on and out the door and around and zipper and 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 that night we we walked to El Mascal for supper and she, that's all she could talk about 
the whole, I mean, she was, it was just, it was too much. I mean, we were looking for some cheap drugs from anybody who would give them to us, but she was just a mess. But guys, me, I'm the one that had the zipper down, but it didn't bother me. I mean, very frankly, when I saw zipper, I thought, you know, well, you know, it happens. It's only happened once, but uh, <laughs> guys, I'm saying, I, I hope you get the point. The, the, the issue in my depression is not what I make, not my circumstance. It is my evaluation of that circumstance that leads to all kinds of, of response. Some of them very bad. Some of them not good. In fact, leading us on occasion into a pit. And folks, it wasn't that. So don't blame the job loss. Don't blame the market plunge. We all experience that stuff. Paul experienced more stuff than we experienced put together. It's not circumstances that are the primary cause of our depression. It's my evaluation of those circumstances. It's how I view them. It's how I assess them. It's what I think of them. Now, here's the point, guys. Well, first, you got to know this, that the enemy of our souls, the devil, is, is not only subtle, but guys, he is unrelenting. And what better way to discredit and to blunt the force of a Christian's witness than to drag us into some pit of despair? So, that is what's unfolding when Paul opens his letter. Timothy is frightened by a set of circumstances that makes him wonder about his future. And if you will watch the Apostle Paul as a master counselor. Chris McCary is good, but he ain't this good. If you will watch him and watch how he reasons with this beloved Timothy of his. Three things, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to see in the text as to, as to how Paul counsels Timothy. That is, put it like this. Three ways to address the bee. Three things to do that will affect the bee. Because it's the bee, ladies and gentlemen, that gets us in trouble. Not the A. Life is full of A's. It's a question of... The B. And watch what he does here. It's, it's marvelous, folks. Okay, you ready? Three things. You can, you can take that thing off now. First of all, guys, beginning in verse 18, the first thing that Paul does, beginning in verse 8, 
um, going through verse 14. I don't want to take the time to read all that, but, um, uh, but share in sufferings for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of Jesus, of uh, our savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light with the gospel. Do you see what he did? Do you see what the apostle Paul did first? He reviews the gospel with Timothy. He rehearses the gospel. He goes back over with a man that he says earlier he's convinced is saved. And he says the first thing that we've got to do, Paul, uh, Timothy, is rehearse and review the gospel story. Because there is power in a story. Guys, why do you think Cinderella has stayed around for as many centuries as it has? Because there's power in a story. And so the first thing that Paul does is that he rehearses the the episodes that are associated with the gospel story in the life of Timothy. Um, he, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Now has been manifested to the appearing of our Savior who has abolished death. What is Paul doing? He's simply reviewing the gospel with, with, with Timothy. Now, guys, there is no more profound change in the universe than the change that is wrought by the Holy Spirit known as regeneration. But regeneration does not change my temperament. Nor does it drain me of all those sinful juices which often plague me in the form of fear. Some of my fears are real and some of them are imaginary. So I got to figure out, I got to sort out where to draw the line between legitimate forethought, which the Bible applauds and encourages in Proverbs 6, and paralyzing foolishness. It's right for us to consider and think about the future, but it is very wrong for us to be controlled by it. Here's my point. One step that will bring things into focus is a rehearsal of the story of redemption in my own life. If you are a regenerate person, ladies and gentlemen, very few things can quiet your soul like a review of the gospel, the story of our personal redemption. I was on the phone with one of my daughters who did a pretty stupid thing this week. She had a car accident. It was a pretty stupid thing that she did in the car accident. It wasn't a moral failure. It was just a stupid thing that she did. And she was really shook by it, really shook by it. And um, I was on the phone with her, and and she was telling me how you know she was so mad and sad and scared, and and I and I said to her, darling, the thing that I do, one of the things that I live by, is that I quote a verse of scripture to my own soul. It's out of Galatians two. You want to hear it? I must quote it to myself about six times a day. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. You know, that's pretty useful, particularly when you blow it. Like I did yesterday. The life that I now live, 
I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know what that is? That's a review of the gospel. It's a rehearsal of the gospel story. It's a return. It, it's a, there's, it, it kind of clears away the cobwebs. It helps me to focus. It restores order. Guys, um, those fears that so drag us down are often due to a failure on our parts to stir up, to think through, to talk, to take ourselves by the hand and review what we believe to be true. Here's what I believe to be true. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's what I believe. And that's what Paul is doing with Timothy. Paul is reminding Timothy of the gospel, of who he is and what he is. But you say, oh, Jimmy, I got some bad news physically this week. So did I! Ladies and gentlemen, the only sickness that will ruin us is sin. And it's been paid for. Oh, but Jimmy, I've had a financial reversal. But ladies and gentlemen, the only debt that can sink you is a debt that's already been paid by Christ. What I do is that I meditate on the gospel until it penetrates my internal life. And restores calm. It's a deliberate act of review and rehearsal. Guys, we got to move on. Here's the second thing that I want you to notice that he does. In verse 7, there is a hint of reprimand in verse 7. Paul's, I mean, Paul says to Timothy, wait a minute. God didn't give you a spirit of timidity and cowardice and fear. What he's given you is a spirit of power and love and self-control. He didn't give you that, Timothy. Let me tell you what he gave you. He gave you a, 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 a spirit of power and control and love. You see, what Timothy has done is that he's guilty of allowing his, his emotional life to rule him. And so Paul reminds him that God gave him a spirit that enables power and self-control and love. He's granted you power, Timothy, to hang on. Years, years ago, back in the late 80s, when, no, the early 80s, when the, we were going through something, while we were still in Florida, we were going through something that, that was really hard on us. It, it really was on me and Susie and, and even our girls. But um, we're struggling through a set of circumstances, and I get a phone call from R.C. Sproul. I think he was in California. He, they, he was speaking in California, and he knew what we were going through, and he calls us at home on a Monday night. <clears throat> and so I update him as to how things are going, and he listens to it all, and he says, Well, Jimmy, about the only thing I can tell you is this. Dig your nails into the side of the wall and hold on. And the wall that we dig our nails into the side of, ladies and gentlemen, is called the gospel. Francis Schaeffer is another one of my heroes who, who, who like to put it like this. It's a, it's a, it's an apt illustration, I think. 
Um, he, he likened our emotional life to a big dog, like a Marmaduke, a great Dane dog, who jumps up on us and puts his legs over our shoulders and just licks us in the mouth. Schaefer says, we have to look at Marmaduke, the emotional life that is out of control, and we have to say, get down. Get down. Because I have been given a spirit of power and self-control. I've been given a, a spirit to hang on. Now leave me alone. The other thing that I want you to notice in verse 7 is that the next thing that he mentions is... It, the next thing he mentions in this reprimand is love. Love. Which, ladies and gentlemen, is a stroke of counseling genius. I wonder how many of us would have used love in a situation like this if we were counseling someone. Um, In in our steps of dealing with our depression, uh, we mention love. Oh, I know truth is needed and self-control and, and, uh, 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 you know, uh, perseverance and endurance. I got all that. But why love? Why does he mention love? Because, folks, at the end of the day, the main cause of our fear leading to depression is self. Self Self-love, self-concern, self-protection, self-absorption, self-pity. And there is only one cure for self. There's only one way to get rid of all that self-consumption. You must become absorbed in someone or something else so that you might stop thinking of yourself. We get involved, ladies and gentlemen, with the needs of somebody other than ourselves. We serve. We get set free from this paralyzing tyranny of self by serving somebody else. And once we're consumed with love, you'll forget yourself. Actually, the word consumed is probably a little overstated. But once you at least get involved in the needs of somebody else, all that self-concern at least is minimized. Can, can I add this, folks, just as a just as a warning for people at Grace Evangelical Church? Some of us don't need another Bible study. You need to find a place to serve. You don't need to be looking at the bulletin trying to find out another Bible study to go to. Ladies and gentlemen, you know coming from me, that is uh, pretty odd. But some of us don't need another Bible study. We don't need any more theological training. We need to serve. And I want you to know that I take complete blame for that deficiency at Grace Evan. Because we, we put such an emphasis here on truth and teaching. As if, as long as we get our theological ducks in a row, we're fine. We're not. Find some place to serve. Find some place to get out of yourself. Find some place to get the eyes off of your navel, your own navel and put it on somebody who's got some real needs. 
I shouldn't say that. I'm, maybe many of your, our needs are real too. There's one other thing and then I'm done. There's one other thing in the text which I thought was... It's in verse 11 and 12. This is the third piece of counsel that he gives to Timothy to get him out of this funk that he's in. He says in verse 11... Uh, end of 10, he says, through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. You see that? What he says to Timothy is, Timothy, you and I are in a war. So you want to get out of your own depression? Then take a page out of Paul's book. My circumstances are what they are. Because I am related to the Lord Jesus Christ, or at least part of it. Guys, some of what we suffer, some of what we experience is our own fault. It's our own stupidities. It's our own fault, yes. But some of what we experience, some of what we suffer, is the result of choosing to side with Jesus Christ. And when I did... I immediately became an object of Satan's wrath, which is why I suffer as I do, says Paul. Give the devil his due, but don't give him any more. Guys, some of us are in a funk, and it's just normal warfare. It's a part of the territory in which we stand because we, we belong to Christ. We are, we are Christians. And because we are, we are swimming upstream. It's just a part of belonging to Christ. You do belong to Christ, don't you? Our Father, I do pray that you will use uh, this portion of your word to instruct your people in where I have um, where I have mistreated it. I pray that you will stop up the ears of your of the hearers, but where it's been handled aright, I pray that you will use it to encourage and direct and and grant health for your people. Lord, if you've brought people here today who, have, who do not belong to Jesus Christ, who are at this very minute outside of the household of faith, and were they to die on their way home from church, would end up forever separated from God. I pray that you will prevent them in that headlong rush to condemnation you will stop them in their tracks and that you would cause them to see that what is their greatest need is a need of Jesus Christ. So would you do that, Father? Not because we're trying to add to our numbers, but because the Lord of the kingdom is worthy, worthy to be loved, worthy to be followed worthy to be obeyed. We make our prayer, of course, in Jesus' name.